This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is right now turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content. A lot of great offers on turkey gear at TheMeatEater.com and even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at TheMeatEater.com. Hey, this is Tyler Jones and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? I am a long ways from KC, but still in the same state. KC is on the phone. What's happening, dude? I uh, just got home from church, man. Uh, had had a good uh, Wednesday night worship service, and guess what? The rain has stopped Finally. in East Texas. Finally. Oh my goodness! Have you been I mean, seeing you know, the the videos of like the hill country rivers? Yeah, man, that's crazy. Oh, and we were standing in a gosh. lot of those places this past spring. Yeah. And like a place where we were standing at water level this, this spring, like literally literally had 80 feet of water above it, above our head. <laughs> that's oh, insane, man. Dude, just yeah. like boat docks, their roofs be looking like they're the, the floor or whatever. Oh, I know. That's so crazy. Bad. You know, I, I haven't really seen anything if anybody is – gotten injured or lost their lives or anything and I hope that hasn't happened yeah but, uh, me too it's it's i mean aside from like that danger factor man like nature is impressive man sure. it's just crazy cool how the rivers do that and like they're made to do that you know yeah like it's they they are the drainage of, of the of the land you know it's right. just i don't know why i just think that's so cool just riparian environments in general are cool to me oh you know? yeah but, dude yeah i agree yeah. we've talked about this a little bit um yeah. So, the rain has stopped. What does that mean for you? The rain has stopped. That means I'm going hunting in the morning, and I'm pretty stoked about it, really, because I drove past my property on the way home from work today and saw two of my bucks. Now, I don't think either of them are shooters, but still, just like seeing the bucks in the in the pasture, like they were right next to a place that I have set up a mock scrape. So, I don't know if they were messing with it or not, but uh, they were on the field edge, you know, and uh, – Anyway, I'm pretty excited to get in there. I know that they're using my property right now, right. you know, so I know they're they're in the general area. And uh, that deer swope, I I would like to get a look at it because I mean he's not going to be a, a high scoring deer. He's not a real long time deer. He's you know he's just a kind of a East Texas deer. He's got a like, uh, I guess you could say like average mass. He's not like a super pencil, you know, yeah, but. Yeah. But he's a good-looking buck, and like looking at him through the binoculars tonight, I mean, maybe he's starting to rut up a little bit, you know, and kind of get a swole neck or something. But he looks like a four-year-old. But from hmm. all my picture analysis, he looks like a three. So yeah, 
I'm not, I'm not going in there to shoot him in the morning, but I would like to see him from the stand. I'd like to see any deer from the stand. I mean, let's yeah, that'd be, honest, be, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be a fun thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd be a cool deal, right? But <laughs> no, I, I think it would just be neat to, and the way I'm going to set up in the morning, I'm going to be, um, probably pretty tight to where these deer are going to be traveling. Uh, I'm going to be about 12 foot up in a tree, about 10 yards from the trail. So I'm going to be T Jones style. Sweet. Tighten there on them. It's good, man. <laughs> yeah. Where you can't move. Is yeah, it going to exactly. be, what's the temp going to be? Uh, it's going to be warmer. I think in the morning it's going to be like 53 and then it's going to warm to like 62 tomorrow. That's it's about what weird. we had today out here where, where you're at yeah did y'all have a high pressure day or was it cloudy uh it was it was you know it was mostly cloudy there was some time yeah. during the middle of the day when it was got kind of sunny in a few spots but uh it was same thing like low 50s in the morning low 60s in <clears throat> middle of the day and mm-hmm. uh it's gonna be like 45 as a high tomorrow 45 is a high yeah, and rainy Ooh, i know Ooh, man what's that do for y'all well I guess I should go ahead well, and tell everybody what's yeah. going on. Let's, um, let's in on the scoop right now, teacher. Yeah, so I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, today was the first day I actually uh, did this, but I I came out here yesterday. Uh, I've been in the Panhandle shooting video and stills of a mule deer capture and collar project. Um, it's one that's been going on within the state uh, for like about five years, four or five years. I can't remember what they said today, but I think it's like four or five years. Um, so like they're, they were capturing deer today that some of them, they, they've been capturing for the last, you know, three years or whatever. So pretty cool. Like one of the bucks that came in, they were like, they were like, they, you know, they kept, they would age all of them by looking at the teeth and they, and there's a bunch of TPWD biologists out there and they're like, uh, four ish. <laughs> was, uh, and then the guy taking the stats would be like, I can't put ish, you know, but, yeah. uh, anyway, they were just, every time they, they don't, you know, they don't really know by looking at the jaw, how old this deer is. Um, but there was yeah. one buck that came in where they're like, we know this guy's three cause we caught him as a fawn. So yeah. it's pretty cool That's to cool. see. Yeah. Um, so are they radio collared or they implanted? They're collared right now, but they're taking yeah. collars off of them. And I think what I think we're going to put collars on a different herd tomorrow. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Cool. I'm I'm pretty glad to be involved with it. I've never seen or done any of the game capture type stuff, and I'm getting to yeah. sit there and video it and get right up and close personal with some. For me, pretty big bucks, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I feel like Texas mule deer, kind of like Texas pronghorn, where you're like you're on a little bit different scale, right? Yeah. So everybody else is looking for a 200, and I think a 160 in Texas is pretty big. Well, it depends. So yeah, I mean, in this area that we're in, you know, I think that you, you're right. Um, yeah. I was told that there's. I was told today by one of the TPWD guys that this ranch in particular has had some 180s, 190s come off of it. Um, nice. And but I don't think this side of the Panhandle is exactly known for big the big ones, you know. Yeah. So like, yeah, sure. you know, um, there's a public uh, public hunt that's a draw hunt called Yoakum Dunes. And like two years ago, don't like, tell anybody. Like a two thirty came <laughs> off of there, you know. Yeah, I so, saw it. And I think giant. they were talking about how it's possibly like a soil deal, which is what a lot of uh, antler development is related to, anyway. So, yeah, places that historically have big deer usually have good soil. 
so they're now yeah exactly so yeah. uh anyway but like and then i also know another biologist that works for a state that i grew up with played baseball with and stuff in high school and he worked out in the Trans-Pecos region, and there are some big ranches out there owned by some really, really rich people um, mm-hmm. where they're shooting. I mean, they're looking for 200s every year. Of course, they've got several, you know, tens of thousands of acres, um, but they are looking for deer that big. So they exist. Yeah. They're just in certain places, and they're not really uh, – uh, and they're, they're localized in those circle pla- certain places, and they're not really available – on too many from too many public hunters you know what i mean yeah so, yeah but uh it's very interesting man it's 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 cool to be involved with them because i i don't have a whole lot of i mean i've seen mule deer here and there seen them sometimes you know in kansas i i shot a a forky back a long time ago when i was hunting in texas um so they're they're just cool species that you and i don't get to see very often so yeah just little species on the edge, man. They just kind of live in yeah. weird stuff. Yeah, they are very interesting. And currently, Parks and Wildlife don't know a whole lot about them. Or they had a lot of un- questions they couldn't answer, so that's why they started this project. And that's cool, man. Uh, they've been I'm working... glad to see them being proactive about this. It's cool. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, they're you know working with the Mule Deer Foundation and that kind of thing. So, um, uh, there's several companies here that are helping make this thing a possibility, and and. Uh, and I, I was told that um, that uh, Pittman-Robertson Act uh, really came into effect here with, uh, like, really? yeah, dollar matching and everything when they got ready to put a budget to this project. So it's a very expensive project. Yeah, yeah um, it's cool. So anyway, been cool, man. I've been I've been really excited to do it. Um, but it's a uh, I'm just pretty much did film work from about eight o'clock this morning till about six o'clock this evening. <laughs> so. Yeah. I remember those, uh, you know, I, I used to work in game capture some and from a different side of it than what you are right now, but, uh, some long days, man. Yeah. And everybody's always running full speed, yeah. but for like, I don't know if it's how it was with, with y'all today, but there's always like this excitement in the air whenever it's a capture day and everybody's kind of happy. And Oh, yeah. Like, there's great attitudes. It. Man, it was cool to yeah. see. I mean, there wasn't a ton of like, when you see, when you hear volunteer, there wasn't a ton of like volunteers. So like local people from the state or whatever that are just volunteering their time with no, no self-interest, really. Yeah. It was... The volunteers we had were like uh, graduate, undergraduate types from different colleges around the state and and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, which is still a volunteer thing. It's still doing it for free and donating their time. But there was actually, you know, man, props to Texas Parks and Wildlife because there were, there were several TPWD guys there that were volunteering their time to do this. That's cool. Yeah, this wasn't yeah. something that they was part of their job description or anything. So mm-hmm. good on them, man, you know? Yeah. But uh, anyway. Yep, that's cool, man. Speaking of cool species. Yeah. So we've got a guy coming on the podcast today that has a lot of info about cool and different species to be hunted. Yeah, man. Uh, Anthony Licata, who is the editor-in-chief, is yeah. that right? Yeah. For Outdoor Life. That's who we're going to talk to today. And uh 
Sounds like Anthony has had a lot of experiences on a lot of different public land and even some uh, kind of off the wall stuff that yeah. we're going to talk about. Um, so kind of looking forward to this thing, man. Yeah, I am too. And, you know, for the listener, there's a lot of you out there that like, I know you've heard all this call to action stuff about public lands and saving public lands and you're probably burnt out from you know listening to that kind of stuff right now so if that's the case feel free to fast forward through a little bit because there's a little bit of that at the beginning you just when three guys that are passionate about saving public lands get together there's going to be this conversation and it happens yeah on you know it's happened through a lot of media in the last couple of years so like i said mm-hmm. you can fast forward if you're new to this stuff feel free to listen to it and i suggest listening to it because uh, it's a it's a good thing to know about, and it's a good thing to know you know where, yeah. where the threats are coming from. And so. I'm, you know, just my, might I say that uh, things get political, but it's not the normal that we you, you you might hear from some groups or whatever. You know, there's not it's not going to be a bashing session. It's right. going to be a let's come together and talk about what we can do to make this right and the yeah. different ways to make that happen. And I thought that was cool. I, in case y'all can't tell, we've already done this interview. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. And so like, but after we get done with that, we finally get into some really cool, uh, interesting opportunities that exist and also like planning out your fall on public land. So yeah, exactly. It's like, a, it's cool. I deal. feel like we, we have a, a tendency to like, just go, why tell, why tell, why tell, why tell, why tell, and the season's over. Right. Yeah. But there's, actually so many other cool things we can be doing and utilizing our public lands for uh all fall and spring and summer for the for the truth of the matter but you know we're talking about like planning out a fall hunting season you know yeah. and and there's just there's a lot of seasons open and to get a true appreciation for you know the gift that we have in in public property uh, I think maybe we need to start expanding that and, you know, exploring some of the bird hunting and small game stuff and, and at least doing more of it than we already do, you know, and sure. just make use of this opportunity. Absolutely, man. Um, so before we get to that conversation, real quick, don't forget, we're doing a giveaway. We're giving away a trail camera. Um, this is an Exodus Trek trail camera. I think they list for like $150 on the website. Yep. Um, that's right. So it's a nice trail camera, man. Does, uh, you know, HD video um, uh, and takes great stills as well, man. We use you them. You can in- lock them. They have the fifth protection yes. and all yep. kinds of stuff. And uh, we're going to give that away for iTunes reviews, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. And we are giving it away. What's the date, Tyler? The date is October. 30th that's on a tuesday october 30th the day before halloween so before you have to dress up as a vampire you go (laughs) and leave us an itunes review and i've been requested by a few uh listeners who didn't really know how to get to the itunes reviews to leave them and it's kind of funny because itunes actually makes that kind of complicated so I'm going to explain that right quick. So, guys, if you want to leave us a review and you don't really know how because it's kind of hard to figure out, here's what you do. You go to your podcast app, which is not iTunes. It's its own thing, you know, on your phone. And you have to go search the Element Podcast. You can't just go click on our icon that you have saved because we're in your feed. You actually have to search it. Click on the search result, the Element Podcast, and then scroll down It'll show like 10 podcasts, like our 10 most recent. And then at the bottom, it'll have a place that lets you mark how many stars go to the fifth star. 
click that, and then you can write a review. So you can't just go to our thing in your feed, but you actually have to search it. But if yep. you do that, you'll be able to leave a review. Nice. Pro tip. So if That's you have it. any questions, uh, just send us a message on social media, and we'll try to further explain that. We've already had several messages uh, inquiring about how to do that. So, yeah. um, But if, uh, if you want to review and rewind this thing, 15 seconds at a time listen to Casey say all that over again go do it right now and then we're going to get Anthony Licata on the phone what do you think sounds good all right all right so now on the phone we have Anthony Licata he's the editor-in-chief for Outdoor Life what's been going on brother hey man thanks for having me on today sure thing man we're glad to do it it's uh it's a pleasure for sure uh how's your early fall been going Oh, it's been going pretty good so far. I started, uh, I got out a couple times uh, bow hunting for whitetails uh, back where I'm from. I'm from Pennsylvania originally, and I have a hunting camp there, and I, I loved bow hunt. So I didn't get out west and big game hunt earlier in the year, so my first hunts have been kind of close to home, up in a tree stand, chasing whitetails, but I, I love to be there. Cool. So is that, uh, is that on some family land there in Pennsylvania? Yeah, um, it's a combination. It's on some family land that we have, but I also hunt uh, quite a bit of public land in Pennsylvania. Cool. Pennsylvania is blessed with a, a great public land system, not so much federal land, although there is some of that, but they have a great uh, state land system. Mm-hmm. Gifford Pinchot, who was one of the, the pioneers of um, the National Forest Service, ran with Teddy Roosevelt, one of the people responsible for for uh, much of what we have these days. He was actually the governor of Pennsylvania as well. Oh, and cool. so he set up a, a terrific system of, of public lands dedicated to hunting in Pennsylvania. And that's where I grew up hunting on public land like that. And I, I still still love to do it and do it quite a bit. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So uh, I've I've heard, you know, Pennsylvania is a pretty – uh, there's a, there's a strong heritage of deer hunting as a tradition there. Um, does, are those public lands, is it hard to get away from people out there? Sometimes Pennsylvania certainly have, we have a lot of land, but we certainly have a lot of hunters and a lot of deer hunters. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sometimes they can be crowded, you know, the, the opening of the season, the rifle season, certainly, but you know, it, it's true, um, on public land in many places, uh, you just put in a little bit of extra effort and you can get away from people. Yeah, you yeah. hike farther than the road. A lot of people don't go too far from where they're parked or too far from the trail. And so, you know, I try to find those spots that are way back in. Maybe I got to roll up my pants and cross the stream or <laughs> climb a steep ridge. That cuts out a lot of your competition right there. Yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. We found that water access stuff makes a huge difference. And it's cool to see that, like, Pennsylvania has such a thriving hunting heritage that continues today and it's kind of interesting to see that you also have a correlation of having a ton of public land to hunt right and I got to think that those two things have something to do with each other absolutely I I mean it's it's a huge part of the culture of the state Um, you know the school I, I went to uh, we had off the first day of hunting season, school closed because no one would show up. I'm otherwise. jealous. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you're right. It, it, it is that access and that opportunity that, that creates that culture, fosters it, and keeps it alive. I mean, we all know um, one of the things that people say why they're getting out of the sport or they don't hunt as much as they used to, it's a lack of access, a lack of place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that public land and, and having those opportunities – 
uh, to get access, no matter how it is, is, is crucial to keeping the sport healthy and the traditions alive. Yeah, sure. So uh, for the public land hunter, uh, what's the outlook like right now? Like what's the opportunity compared to past years? Like say, you know, for today's generation of hunter, how good do they have it uh, across the nation? Uh, they have it pretty good. Yeah. We, we really have it pretty good. It, it's one of those situations where I, I think, man, you, you kind of don't know what you have until it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, there are certainly plenty of threats to public land, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, one thing we, we, we did a big story about this in the latest issue, and one of the reasons why we did it is just to remind people that, hey, man, this land belongs to all of us. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's a lot of places it's underutilized. Some places, sure, it gets some pressure, but there's so much opportunity there. I mean, we, we really do have it good. You, you look at the way hunting is done in some other countries, and I've, I've been lucky enough that I've hunted in Europe and I've hunted in South America and some other places. And especially when you're talking about Europe, it really is a, a, a rich man's sport. Um, it's a whole different model. It's not the North American model of wildlife conservation that we all talk about where having a vast amount of public land and lots of hunters and, uh, to buy licenses, to pay the excise tax, all these things that support conservation. It's not the case there. You really have to be a person with money to get access to a place to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that it's set up that way for us because it's just, I don't know. I can't imagine uh, just living in the world of lordship where, you know, you had to deal with permissions because, quite honestly, uh, getting permission where we live is a pretty tall task. <laughs> no doubt. And, yeah, for and sure. If, I think I'm sure it is there, but that's getting more true everywhere. Yeah. Especially when it comes to deer. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we all, just as you were talking, you know, we all love our whitetail, you know, but there's, I think that's kind of one of the big things we miss on some of the public land stuff is that, you know, we all get caught up with big game and whitetail and so be it. But, uh, man, there's a lot of fun to be had, you know, chasing little critters too. And I think that's one of the big parts of why public land is so cool because we all can access it for our own specific desires and all share it, you know. So I don't I don't know if it's uh, – if it's something that everybody feels, you know, sometimes if if I'm in a whitetail stand and some squirrel hunters roll through, it's not the funnest thing. But you know, if you sit back and look at the bigger picture, it uh, it, it makes sense, and I'm glad it's it's the case. So, what are some of the big threats that you see to uh, public lands that are kind of on the forefront right now that might affect hunters in the future? Sure. Um, there, there are quite a few of them, unfortunately, and I, I feel like right make now us feel good, to... man. Let's not, let's not feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to bum everybody out, right? Yeah. Because the way I started was this very positive thing that we have this land and we have this ability, and that is still true. So we should feel very, um, very proud, very confident, and, and optimistic. But the thing is, we just can't get complacent. Um, and, and lose what we currently have. It's that, that's kind of the situation. Right. You know, there, there's a few threats, and I'll, I'll try to be pretty quick about them, and I, uh, I think man, many of your readers are kind of familiar with some of them. Um, you know, one uh, is this push coming from um, lots of different places to transfer ownership of federal lands to the states. Um, that's something you see a lot of politicians from different western states talk about, and they say, well, the federal government can't manage these lands, give it to the states, 
and let them manage manage them. And while that may you know sound like there's some logic there, the truth of the matter is uh, the states cannot manage them. I mean, some of the firefighting budgets required for these lands would bankrupt um, many of these states. And they don't have the funds or the personnel to manage them. And what has invariably happened whenever there's been transfer of federal land to state land is much of it is sold. It's mm-hmm. sold um, you know, and made private, and people lose places to hunt and fish. It happens all the time. And, you know, the answer is not transferring it to the states. It's, it's to making sure that our federal government is able to manage them and has the resources they need and that we hunters are out there using them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of I kind of feel along the same lines where, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty conservative fella, you know, honestly, and I, I know the role of the states and I know the role of federal government, and I feel like on this issue, this is a federal issue, right? Like they are there to do things that we can't do for ourselves because I can't manage land that I own that's in a separate state, right? And that's the point of the federal government. It's the point of the union. So this whole rhetoric of let's give it to the states – well, I don't want you to give my land to the state of, you know, I'm not going to name one because I don't want to be negative about another state, but, you know, that's my point. Right. It's right. it's our land. It's not those states' land. We didn't, and it's kind of right. funny, one of the things you hear, you might even hear that out of our great state of Texas, um, is let's give it back to the states. Yeah. Well, it never was the states. If you want to give it back, you can talk to Native Americans, and they, I'm, I'm sure they would love to have it back, but that's not... You know, you, yeah. if you want to do the right thing, right, or you want to do the thing that right. like makes the most sense. So, but we're not, you yeah. know, w- what we want to do is preserve the fact that these places exist, right? So, that's that's right, and that is a, a talking point that people use to confuse the issue. Like, yes, as if the federal government came in and took this land, it, it did never belong to the states. It always belonged, you know, or should say, it was managed by the federal government. And and you know, I don't even I've said it several times, but I, I don't like to say it that it's. Uh, the land belongs to the federal government because you said it perfectly. It belongs to us. Yes. Uh-huh. It belongs to all citizens of the country. Um, you know, I know I'm, I live um, in the east. I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, but I've had some of uh, my most fantastic hunts in the east on, on public land, but also out in Colorado, mm-hmm. out, in, out in Montana, in Wyoming, on land that belongs to me. All I had to do was pack up my truck get my license, drive out there, and that's my land um, that I'm able to go on and hike and camp and hunt, and it belongs to me. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, on another note, um, you know, I guess on the opposite end of the spectrum, at least, where, you know, what are some of the, in regards to access and opportunity, what are some of the great things, the, the cool things we've got going on for us right now um, as far as that goes? Yeah, well, some of the positive things are there's a lot of work being done by different conservation groups, whether it's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, lots of other groups who are working on solving access challenges to this public land. This is land that is public, open hunting, that belongs to all of us, as we said, but we're blocked from access by private landowners. Um, They are closing, you know, roads that maybe cross their property to get to the land uh, that have always been open for people to access that land. And we're talking about, you know, um, some people moving into those areas who have lots of money and very wealthy and, 
Hey, I got nothing against uh, being wealthy. I wish I were wealthy. <laughs> I hear that. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's a real threat where people come in and, and block you from, from getting land that belongs to you. So uh, that is a challenge. I know you asked, asked for an opportunity, but I think it's very positive that people are focusing on that now. And there's a lot of organizations, the ones I mentioned and others, um, that are fighting that fight. And they're, they're good people to be involved in, and, and they're um, – they're very helpful to help you find out land. I mean, Montana has uh, great systems in place to help uh, regular hunters know what's public land, what's open, what the boundaries are, how to access it. And that's the kind of thing that, that helps all of us. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, you talked about hunters and, you know, that's really what we're all thinking about this time of year. Uh, like it's hunting season. Uh, you talked about being in the whitetail stand. We were in the stand most of the day yesterday. Uh, doing the same thing but uh what are some of the hunts that you've been on or know about you know I'm, I'm sure in your business you get to hear a lot about a lot of different varieties of hunts out there but you know we all understand that whitetail hunting is cool right but are there any other hunts like that can be done on public land across our nation that are kind of obscure but really awesome that people should be checking out into yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, bird hunters, uh, I think, sometimes don't realize the opportunities they have for themselves. There are so many um, public grasslands and national forests that are, that are grasslands that are open to bird hunting that have some terrific bird hunting, whether it's uh, upland bird hunting, you know, pheasants and, and, and chuckers and, and uh, sage grouse and things like that. Um, you know, it's possible for guy to put his uh, uh, kennel in the back of the truck, get a couple dogs, pack some food, and go on a road trip uh, through the, the heartland of the country, having some terrific bird hunting on all on public land. And I think that's something people sometimes don't think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true, man. And actually, I need to... I need to do a little bit more of that. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I, the the uh, especially upland stuff is just something I haven't ever really had a chance to. We don't have a lot of quail where we live, and that's kind of right. about the only you know native upland that we are, we're going to have. But uh, I'd love to kind of travel and do a little bit of that. I it feel like the, cool. there's a barrier to access kind of there uh, with the dogs. Sometimes uh, upland birds are really hard to hunt uh, without a dog. Whereas, in yeah. my opinion, like waterfowl. Uh, I've hardly ever had a dog and I've hunted waterfowl all my life and I just, I got to go pick them up. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, that, that's right, the difference. Right. It's you're not the dog. dog. man. You're your own dog. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't need a dog to find birds in waterfowl, but in upland, man, those roosters will outrun you, you know, for 640 <laughs> yeah. acres pretty much. So yeah, that's, I kind of no, feel like that's no. kind of one of those things. But I, but I mean, in my opinion, along the same lines, as what you're saying, bird hunters don't really realize. I mean, there's a ton of waterfowl, uh, especially throughout the Midwest that I've seen. And I'm like, that's those birds, all those geese out there are sitting on public right now and nobody's bothering them. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's terrific public land opportunities for waterfowl. And, and even in places that, um, you know, maybe people know about and, and they're well known, I would say like, you know, you talk about Arkansas and hunting the flooded timber, that green timber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a pretty magical thing. It's pretty, pretty special. And, you know, there are some big clubs down there and private ground, um, you know, where it could be kind of a high dollar thing, but there's also a lot of public land there, biometer. There's lots of places to hunt this, you know, what for a lot of duck hunters is kind of a bucket list thing um, that they could go and do. You know, you got to do a little homework. You got to, you know, these days with, with Google, I know I use a lot of 
Google uh, photos or Google Maps to, to look at places and, and scout from from afar that way, but you could find places in and away and openings, and it does take a little bit of legwork and a little bit of exploring, but, um, you know, that's kind of the fun, too. Oh, yeah, bit. for sure, especially for KC. He's literally <laughs> on a map. If he's on his phone, he's he's most of the time on a map, so <laughs> he yeah. likes that thing. I mean, I've never met any hunters. Like, the two things they love the most, I feel like, are maps and the Weather Channel. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. are obsessed with maps and radar and weather. That's and right, man. a good thing. In, you know, another thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize, uh, and we, we talked off the air, we'll probably, you, you and I and KC will probably talk about this in the future sometime, a little more in depth, but, you know, fishing is a, is a public land opportunity, like, in, in you know, like the majority of fishing goes down on public land, you know, and so a lot of people don't realize that public access is a boat ramp. Sometimes, you know, it's, right? It's not necessarily, um, you know, a big giant piece of several hundred thousand acres of national forest land. That's right, boat boat ramp. Exactly, that, that, that's a way to get access for for fishing, and and you know that's something I'll I'll bring up one more sort of threat that sure. I think everybody buddy should be aware of and. Do something about it. And I mean, call your representative, do something about it. And that's the Land and Water Conservation Fund, right? Mm-hmm. You often hear of it called the LWCF. Now, uh, you know, to, to make short work of this, this is um, a program that was put in place by the federal government that would take royalties from offshore drilling and use it to buy and protect outdoor recreation projects. I mean, these are, this is land, but this is also boat ramps, it's, it's shooting ranges, and so on and so forth. I mean, from 1965 to 2014, $16.7 billion have been spent that way. Whoa. Three million acres have been purchased and protected under this. That's cool. Every, 50 states, every state has a successful project here. Mm-hmm. What the cost is to taxpayers is zero. Yeah. So this is an it has been an incredibly important program that benefits all hunters and anglers. Most of them probably don't know about it. It also benefits anybody who likes to be outside. Um, but currently, um, they Congress was trying to reauthorize it. The deadline passed. It has not been reauthorized. It has been um, so right now. It's in limbo, and this would be a huge loss for hunting and fishing. And, and there's this is something that has bipartisan support. It really should get passed. And so, you know, I'll get off a political soapbox. I don't to make it too political <laughs> no, that's here, cool. This is something that all of us who love the outdoors should support. The LWCF, it doesn't cost us a dime and gives us billions of dollars. So I, I would say, you know, if, if your listeners want to do one thing to get involved after this, um, look that up and, and then give your congressperson a call and let them know what you think of it. Yeah, yeah. you know, I really appreciate you bringing up that point because <laughs> – um, there's a lot of, uh, I, I want to say this lightly, but, uh, kind of public land, public lands are die kind of, uh, talk out there when it comes to voting. And I'm going to be honest, like that is a gr- big issue for me, but there's a lot of issues out there that I care about, you know? Right. And I think that, um, some people don't use the right to petition near enough, you know, like, um, just because a senator who is elected who you don't agree with or you do agree with on some things and don't on others is there, it doesn't mean you have to live with their opinions. You can 
then, you know, politely petition and write or call or whatever, call that office and let your voice be heard. And that actually does matter. If they hear a thousand voices, then they're going to think that's a hundred thousand people. And, you know, they care about their voting constituency and you can do things you you yourself can actually have a voice that way you don't have to do it just with voting now by all means go vote right but right there's other things you can do i i, I just want to give you an amen on that that is a, a perfect point <laughs> and, and it really is there's a lot of hunters and fishermen in this country and when we speak together and get involved um uh our government listens they but, I, but if we don't, they kind of take us for granted. They think that they're going to get a vote or they won't or whatever. And, you know, I can tell you as, you know, running field and stream and with Outdoor Life, I've had the opportunity to, you know, interview vice president, presidential candidates, um, and many senators and congressmen. And they, come, they reach out to us, not because I'm such a big deal, but because hunters and fishermen are a big deal. Mm-hmm. And we are a big, powerful um, group if we speak together. And we spend a lot of money and they listen. And your point about, um, you know, calling or writing, I'm telling you that matters. I've heard it directly from politicians mm-hmm. that, you know, and it doesn't even have to be a thousand letters. You know, they get a hundred from their constituents. That says something. People don't write that much. People don't contact that much. And when they start getting stuff like that, you know, what they, what politicians want more than anything, I think, is stay in power. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Exactly. They, they want to give, they want to get elected again. They want their people to vote for them. Yeah. And when you uh, tell them that this stuff matters, they listen. They honest to God do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I believe it. And you know what? I think that we as media, we do we we do some stuff, but I think I'm just going to speak for the element here because I'm sure Outdoor Life does a better job than we do. But uh, we could do a better job in educating our listeners, our readers on what these issues are, and that's kind of what our podcast, you know, what we're doing today, right? But like, right. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, we were in a state in the West uh, this past summer, uh, floating down a river with a fly fishing guide. And, uh, you know, great dude, taught me a ton, uh, put me and Tyler on some fish all day, you know, really cool. Um, but he didn't know what the Land and Water Conservation Fund was. And yeah, he's right. using two boat ramps on this river that I'm all but positive, you know, were partially funded by LWCF funds, you know. And this right. is a guy who's making his living off of that. And, you know, not, nothing against him. You know, but he needs right. reliable media to inform him that these things are happening. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, <clears throat> when we're hunting and fishing, we're out there because we love it. We love the outdoors. We love nature. We love the connection it gives us, the food, the family, all of that. Who wants to think about politics? You know, <laughs> that's kind of what we get. We, we're getting enough politics every day in, yeah, in, in yeah. media. You know, we tend to want to get away from that, and that's kind of a struggle for for us. And I imagine you guys is is when we're talking to our audience. Um, you know, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, and maybe kind of a bummer. But you know, as we did with this story in the latest issue about public land, um, yeah, we told them what's at stake and what they're getting, and and backed it up with numbers. But it was also driven by the fact that, like, hey, here are a bunch of great hunts that you could do, and here's how to do it. Um, you know, it is a struggle, but if people just understand that you don't have to be a political junkie, you don't have to be involved in all this stuff, just 
just be aware of it, make your voice heard and, and realize what we have. Yep. And, and try to keep it, and, and it's, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and, and that reliable media source, if you, if you believe in them, you've done a little fact-checking, you're, you can kind of just – I don't mean to say this – I don't mean for this to have any negative context, but you can kind of almost uh, tune out a touch and just trust that that media source for a little while will give you the information you need on what to vote on, what to speak up on. And you don't have to. You don't have to know how every single congressman voted or whatever, you know. So, right. Uh, right. But you said this, so I'm going to get us away from politics and go <laughs> back to awesome hunts that we can do. Is there anything else out there that you can think of, like Casey said earlier, it's obscure that's um, whether that's like some kind of gator hunt or some awesome squirrel hunt that just happens, you know, there's awesome amount of squirrels there every year or whatever. I mean, is there anything out there, rabbits, you know, that's just an, an awesome hunt to go on that maybe people don't think of most of the time. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of those like kind of, um, sleeper spots and sleeper hunts all across the country. I mean, you know, this is not everybody's cup of tea, but, um, Burmese pythons have been introduced to South Florida and are devastating. Oh yeah. Uh, the natural ecosystem down there. So we did go on a, a Burmese python hunt. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Made a pretty cool story. Yeah. Um, and it is very important because they are devastating native wildlife populations. Yeah. But like there's things like that where, where, um, you know, their wildlife managers are begging people to hunt. You know, there's elk. Everybody thinks about elk out west. Well, there's elk in the south in uh, Kentucky, the Dana Boone National Forest. Got to draw a tag, but you you could draw it. Um, you know, that's kind of an underlooked hunt. Mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. There's some kind of cool things like that everywhere. And then you know, you said about squirrels, and I, I uh, I'll talk about something that happened to me just just a couple days ago on Sunday. I took my um, two children, uh, they're 10 and 6, fishing on Sunday. We went to a piece of public ground. It's a beautiful piece of public ground. It's owned by the state, the state of New York. And uh, we were there fishing. We caught some fish, and, and it was great. Uh, but as we were fishing, uh, who pulled up but a couple of guys um, getting ready, putting on their hunting gear, and they were going squirrel hunting. And these are guys um, that I, I went over and I talked to them a little bit. They were adults. They're kind of new to the sport. I would say they're not kind of the traditional hunter that you would think. Or he's been doing it his whole life and, um, you know, raised because his daddy taught him that way. They were people who were interested in it, interested in getting out. And um, here they are going out for squirrels. And this piece of public land uh, would be great squirrel hunting. I've never hunted it for squirrels. I hunt it for deer. Uh, I go and I bow hunt there, and because it's close to some population areas, it gets a little crowded. But I'll tell you what, no one was there uh, squirrel hunting that day. Yeah. Uh, it was just them. And there's places like that all over the place. And I know last year um, I, I was on a whitetail hunt. This was not public ground. It was private ground, and I killed a nice buck, and I had a couple more days. And I spent them squirrel hunting, and I hadn't been squirrel hunting probably, I don't know, six, seven years. Oh, man, was it fun. We had a a great day walking through the woods, getting a bunch of squirrels, seeing some pretty country. And uh, that night we had a big old southern squirrel fry. That's what I'm talking about. Gravy and biscuits. (laughs) It was awesome. And it made me, like, ask myself, why don't I do this more? Right. And I would say, you know, there's public land 
no matter what state you're in where you could go do something like that. Yeah. Man, you know, if you if you were to go get on your Instagram right now and look around, you know, or at least for me and a lot of people I'm sure, you're gonna you're gonna see these big antlered and horned things <laughs> all over your Instagram. And I think that sometimes uh, that kind of puts these um like it puts a value on those on those animals for sure and it's a good value in most cases but like in the minds of some people who maybe haven't done a lot of hunting or starting to get into it it puts a value on on deer and sheep and these things that are that everybody really has is striving for and spending so much money on and that that kind of thing but um in all honesty KC and I uh, had the opportunity to go out just strictly for squirrels last year in february and it was like it was so fun because i feel like that the value placed upon those horned and antlered game species uh causes you to be extremely serious to be extremely tactical you've got to do everything you got to you know wash your clothes you got to be quiet all these different things and you kind of tend to forget that like hunting can be um a fellowship you know it can be something that you do with friends and family and you can enjoy and that's one thing the dove hunt in texas is is probably you know when opening day of dove season it's it's not a holiday but it should be i mean there everybody's going to be off work if it's not on a weekend and it's it's just a huge historical thing down here and uh i think i every year i go dove hunting a couple times maybe and i say man i wish i did this in October instead of deer hunting and swatting mosquitoes, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's just so much fun. You know, you get to yell at each other across the field. The birds don't <laughs> right. really know what's going on. You know, it's, it's fun. Yeah. I feel like that those small game species sometimes get overlooked because of the value that maybe society doesn't place, um, or culture doesn't place on them, but, uh, man, they're, they're yeah. fun. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, elf hunting does have that great tradition, especially for the opener, but there's a lot more like that. And, you yeah. know, um, kind of playing off of something you said, that's a bit of pet peeve of mine, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it here at Outdoor Life, that we've been guilty of it. Uh, but you see it in ads, you see it on TV, you see it in magazines, you see it everywhere. But that, as you said, that, like, very serious mindset, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, yeah. I better get a 150 class buck, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, your, your face is all painted. Nothing wrong with painting your face, but, you know, people are scowling like they're going off to war, and if they're not suffering, and yeah. uh, then it's not worth it. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I love a good, hard backcountry hunt where it pushes you, but hunting's supposed to be fun, too. <laughs> There's other yes. ways to have fun. Yes, that's um, right. And, and, and that social aspect is also a really important part that I think sometimes gets left off of those, um, you know, that kind of mindset, you know, mm-hmm. deer camp, it used to be about, uh, sure. Everybody wanted to kill deer, kill a big buck. Um, but it was also about deer camp being there for the week, you know, playing cards, hanging out mm-hmm. yeah. in the woods. And now, you know, it's you, everybody's, you got your food plots and set stands and no, don't go in there now. Cause the wind's not right. And, you better not hunt today because you're going to blow it and don't hunt too. Well, I just want to go out and hunt, man. You know, yeah. let's not be so serious about it. Yeah. 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 I, I uh, me and Tyler, this talk the other day and it's cool that you bring up the deer camp thing because I a hundred percent agree with that. You know, I kind of missed that thing, but like 
uh, I we were having a conversation, and I just said, "Man, hunters hunt. Like, let's go. You know, let's just get yeah. out in the woods." Uh, and it's not that I was having to talk him into it because he no, was game too. We were just, you know, we were kind of like we both were kind of in that. Uh, I don't know, sorrowful mood where it's like, dude, it's like 85. Why are we doing this? You know, there's mosquitoes are terrible. But then went out and ended up shooting a doe that night. And it made it for a great day, you know. And if I if I yep. would have let like a uh, wind that was just not perfectly optimal or, you know, the wound was a waning crescent instead of a waxing or something, you know, like, you know, <laughs> right. if I let that get in the way, we would not have had that great experience. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I think that uh, the way – that some of uh, culture goes nowadays in hunting is that of like the loner and that of like the tactician. Solo and, hunting. Yeah, solo hunting. There's a lot of people though that that doesn't, that doesn't resonate with, you know? Right. And I know we talk about a lot about like, you know, uh, R3, you know, which is, you know, keeping hunters, creating new hunters and, you know, reintroducing people that once were hunters, uh, a lot of those people that we're losing or not reaching is because that, man, they don't connect with like going and freezing your butt off in Iowa and hunting a giant deer, you know, by like yourself. That, yeah, yeah, by right. yourself. That's just not, right. it's not what it is. But if, you know, no, they, they want to go out and experience nature and maybe get some meat and, and have some fun. Yeah. You know, we, you talked about that squirrel hunting in this latest issue, the same, uh, um, issue with the, the fall issue with, with the public land story. We have a story called the bunny pulpit. Yep. And this is about a, a preacher in Pennsylvania, um, Robert Ford, uh, Pastor Robert Ford, who's just just loves to rabbit hunt, and he's got a big pack of beagles. And you know, you talk about the value. What one thing that's interesting here is he does so much rabbit hunting, and he does it on public and private land. And it's private land that, um, if he was asking to deer hunt, people would say no, right? Uh, you know, because that's too serious. Maybe there's money. Maybe there's a lease. But when that's over, uh, everybody will open up their land to let him come hunt rabbits. And he's got a pack of beagles, and he it's a he always goes with other people in a crowd, and it's social, and you're working the dogs, and you're talking, and you're having fun, and you're you're getting to access ground that you wouldn't if you were just chasing deer. And it's just a ton of fun, right? Um, you know, and I think you're you're probably right when we talk about. Um, bringing new people into the sport um, or retaining them. That's something all of us are thinking about and talking about. Um, you know, I think we overlook opportunities like this where instead of, yeah, putting them, perching them in a, a stand where they're freezing and they, you know, are trying to hold out for a big deer, go out and, and follow some beagles around and get some rabbits and sure. uh, have a meal and have a good time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I feel like that's something that, the common person totally gets, you know? So like with that in mind, um, I want you to do something for me. All right. You are in a great position where you get to talk to a ton of people who hunt all across the the States. Right. I want you to maybe lay out a really, um, cool fall for us. All right. So let's take, let's divide hunting into like three things. So we're going to talk like big game, which is like pronghorn and bigger. All right, and then yep. small game, which is, you know, like squirrels, rabbits, that sort of thing. You know what all this stuff is. And then uh, sure. wing shooting, which is anything that's a bird. All right? Sure. So if you were to lay out a really good October, what are a couple of those hunts that you'd really try to do in October 
that you could utilize public land and do it, you know, kind of DIY, have fun style. You know, not like serious, I'm going to go kill a giant, but just like if someone wanted right. to really get out and enjoy the outdoors, live an right. outdoor life, right? How, how would they do that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, since we've been talking about squirrels, maybe, you know, maybe I'll start there. A lot of squirrel seasons open uh, pretty early, and they're, they're open in October. And, um, you know, we have one of our riders, Will Brantley, our hunting editor. He lives down in Kentucky, and, you know, he's, he's been chasing some deer, but he's been doing a lot of squirrel hunting. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of public land to do that. And, and that's, you know, to me, this is a bit of a personal uh, issue, but sometimes when it's still too warm, I'm just not feeling the deer hunt. You yeah, know what I, I mean? hear that. I have... I guarantee you 50 mosquito bites on each hand right now. And I'm probably not (laughs) going to feel my hands either. So I think, you know, until we get a good major cold front, I'm probably going to try to hunt something else. I'm right there with you. Yep. So, I mean, I think that's a great way to start October, to to start hunting squirrels. You're kind of getting your hunting legs about you, uh, spending time in the woods, doing something a little different. There's plenty of public land for that. You know, going in Kentucky, you could go – um, you know, we talk about um, some big game, right? And and it does not have to be, you know, the, the biggest trophy or the biggest bull. I think, you know, plenty of people know about this, but it's really important that you could go out to Western states like Colorado, for instance. Colorado, you can get a lot of um, uh, over-the-counter elk licenses for archery or for muzzleloader. And, um, you know, Depending on the unit, you know, that, that could get all complicated, but there's, sure. there's ways to figure that out. Yeah. But, you, you know, you don't have to draw this great trophy unit. You can get over-the-counter tags where there's, there's a lot of elk and a lot of public land. And, you know, maybe you'll kill a raghorn bull. Maybe you'll kill a big one. Maybe you'll have a cow tag. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, you know, people dream about an elk hunt, especially people who don't live out west. That's a very doable thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, get in the car, drive out there, have a terrific hunt in spectacular country at a beautiful time of year. Man, the Aspen's all lit up. Um, and I think that's something that is a real treat that's open to all of us. Sure. Um, upland birds, yeah, man. I, uh, you know, I would say since we're kind of in the middle of the country now, Colorado, you, you go up north to Montana, uh, eastern Montana, there's so much uh, public ground open for bird hunters, um, all kinds, where you could just walk for miles and um, have some of the best bird hunting that, that you could ever have. And I think that's that's something that, that I would love to do. I'm not doing that this fall, but I kind of wish I were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about... Uh Kind of. What about the the same thing, same general concept here, but for like uh, what most would call like late season. So say December, January, something like that. What are a couple of cool hunts you could do for uh, big game, small game, and wing shooting? Well, uh, certainly there's a lot of good waterfowl hunts that time of year, right? And yep. in each flyway, you know, you look for um, uh, uh, national wildlife refuges, other places like that. Um, you keep track of the ducks and if the weather's pushing them down. There's lots of places where you could go and do some great public land duck hunting. And, you know, that's the time to do it when the weather's starting to get nasty and getting cold and ducks are pushing down. Um, you know, that, that's, that's where, uh, I know a lot of my friends who are 
bigger waterfowl hunters than I am. I like to hunt waterfowl, but uh, they have more decoys than I do and uh, more stuff, so I tag along with them. But, I mean, that's the time where, where they really look looking <laughs> for the, it. The best friends to have, man. <laughs> yeah. That's my kind of friend. I ain't got no decoys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give a, a late-season hunt that I love and a little bit biased here because it's from my home state of Pennsylvania, and it's just something that I love to do, and it's really unique. And that's uh, late season. It, it starts after Christmas, right? So there's almost always snow. People have been hunting deer for, you know, well, a couple of months now. Uh, so people are maybe getting a little burnt out. And what opens up in Pennsylvania is this really cool flintlock season. Oh. They've got to hunt with a flintlock. Nice. With, um, yeah, with, with buckhorn sites, you know, patch ball. Um, it is so much fun. It is, uh, as I said, that is usually a social activity. There's a lot of snow. A lot of times people are driving deer that time of year, putting good old fashioned organized deer drives together, walking through the woods. If you get a good snowstorm to be able to track or still hunt through, it is so much fun. And, um, that's the kind of opportunity that that's a really good one. And if you look around, a lot of states have some cool seasons like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that's right up my alley, man. It's just something, uh, I don't know, obscure, you know, like I never even thought yeah. that like Flintlock had its own season and, you know, it's just black powder, right? Like it's just what you yeah, think of, right. but like sometimes those things shoot 300 yards nowadays. Yeah. What's so, the range on one of those Flintlocks? Yeah. Well, I, I won't shoot over a hundred yards. I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah. That, that is really the, the range. A little closer is even better sometimes. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, they're accurate. Uh, good one is accurate, but you know, they're, they're tough to shoot. You got to practice. Yeah. Yeah. And you got a little bit of a delay, but it's, it's really a lot of fun. Um, it's a really fun hunt. Oh yeah. It sounds like it, man. That's really cool. Um, so for the listener that's interested in this kind of stuff, what's the best way for them to see more of your articles and works? Yeah, so you can always go on OutdoorLife.com. Um, the public land story that we've been talking about, that is online uh, right now, and it has all the facts and figures. It has, it's got some really great stories of why, um, how great public land hunting can be, kind of fun adventure stories. Then we have a lot of real practical stuff about tactics, about really how to be successful in these places. Mm-hmm. And then we have all kinds of facts and figures about the opportunities that are out there. So we named some of the best ones across the country, uh, you know, how many acres are available, different ideas. Um, that's a, a really good place to start. So you can either pick up the fall issue of Outdoor Life, which is full of great stuff, so I'd recommend doing that, or you can go online at OutdoorLife.com and uh, see all everything we've been talking about. Cool. It sounds great, man. We'll make sure to link to uh, Outdoor Life and uh, a couple of the articles we mentioned here. So if the listeners are interested, that'll be in the show notes below. Anthony, I appreciate it, man. I hope you have a good fall. Uh, I do too. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready now. It's been a little warm here, but now it's cold and I'm ready to, to really get serious. And so it was great talking to you guys. Yes, um, I hope you guys have a good fall too. And uh, if you have some success on public land, send me some photos. I'd love to see. Sure yeah, will, man. Will do. Appreciate it, man. Maybe we'll talk to you about trout after after all the cold weather recedes. I would love to. <laughs> all right, man. We'll have a good one. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. See, see ya. ya. Casey, do you know what caliber I should use on my snake hunt in Florida? <laughs> I'm gonna say a 410. 410. That huh? would be my guess. Dude, I, I feel like, like it just... wouldn't go into his head, man. 
I don't know, man. It depends on how big that uh, Burmese python is. I know. How big but, do they get, though? Uh, I mean, like 30 I don't feet? know, but I see like Photoshop pictures of them eating humans and elephants <laughs> and stuff. So I don't, I don't know what's real and what's not. But, uh, yeah. I, dude, I guarantee you, you can make one heck of a kebab out of a Burmese python. Golly, <laughs> dude. They don't yeah. have to make trees long enough, I don't think. Dude, you could make like an inside-out popper. So instead of putting <laughs> the meat on the inside, you could put the meat on the outside and stuff the snake with that cream cheese and the jalapeno. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. They're made for it. They are. They are. <laughs> I, I really do wonder if, like, are they edible, like a rattlesnake or whatever? Oh, I'm sure they are, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't have any way to say yes or no but a snake's a snake <laughs> i'd think you'd eat about any of them yeah that's that's true yeah huh well that's interesting i was just wondering if you if you had any if you knew anything ballistically about how you know what caliber i should take you know i don't but everybody's I got like their to try it yeah everybody's got their you know like here's your gun for white tails here's your gun you for know what elk. would be cool would be to to shield an archery equipment and use those uh turkey guillotine broadheads on oh, just cut their heads off dude that would be cool we might no, have to do it one I day. I bet you would like that the best, too. That way they're like, heads are gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. Dude, I ain't never getting you on that hunt anyways. I don't even know what we're talking about. No, you would go. <laughs> no, I will not. Unless you can make me a snake boot that's a bodysuit. <laughs> snake um, suit. So, dude, I was looking through our guests the last couple of months. And, man, I got to say this. If you can't kill a deer this year, then you haven't been listening to the Element Podcast hard enough. <laughs> it's true. It's true because I have killed a deer, man. So yeah. it works. It does, it dude. Works. And I haven't yeah. yet. Uh, so, and I, I haven't listened back to all of our guests, but that's probably why. But, man, I was just – like I just went through the list and I didn't realize. But, man, we had like an all-star lineup from like – I think it was like late June or somewhere in July all the way until basically like – you know, this week, yeah. you know, so yeah. as far as, as far as whitetails go, you know, so if you're a new listener and you haven't checked back, be sure and go check out some of that older content. Cause we had some really great guests earlier in the summer. And also, um, we've been getting a lot of questions in our inboxes, which is awesome guys. Keep sending them in. Um, but I was going to let you know that we, uh, did a Facebook live event, uh, a week or so ago. It went over really well. And we'll probably do another one of those in the future. So if you don't get a response back from us, which we try to do, then we will make sure to answer your question in that Facebook Live event that is not determined to the date yet. But yeah. we're going to do one of those pretty soon. So, you know, send in questions if you got them, and we will get to them as soon as possible. Also, speaking of good content, we actually <laughs> just released my elk hunt film yeah. on YouTube. Which is, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's not like a cinematic experience. It's more, much more like a story of the hunt, kind of a, a video journal more than anything. Yeah. But um, it was cool because, like, I went on the hunt and self-filmed it with my parents, who were there for pretty much the whole thing. Tyler wasn't there, and then Tyler got to edit it all. So everybody tell Tyler thank you, thank you, Tyler. Uh, but uh, he did a really great job, and uh, for like the. As as uh, he pieced together the the minimal amount of footage that I brought back for him too, dude. I hope it was acceptable <laughs> for you. Like I, I, I liked it. I tried to do the best I could, but um, like I went through and picked the parts of the clips, you know, just the clips that had something in it that I wanted or that I thought was important to the storyline, and then just mm-hmm. the parts of those clips that I wanted. 
mm-hmm. for almost every clip that I put in there, and I laid it all out on the timeline, and it was over two hours long. So <laughs> I was like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, and cow. you can condense that to one quarter, which, uh, I mean, I might be biased, but I watching it, I didn't feel like it lasted 30 minutes. Like I didn't it either. Says it did. That's what so, I kept saying, too. I was like um, – and I think a lot of it has to do with like the all the dialogue you had with the elk, you know, and just yeah. back and forth calling and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was uh, I felt the same way. I was like, man, it's like thirty minutes, but it doesn't feel like it at all. You know, it feels yeah. like it pretty interesting, really. Yeah. So. Sure. Well, if you were still cool enough to be listening to us blabber here at the end, we'll <laughs> be sure to link to. Uh, that down in the show notes below here, yep. uh, along with uh, some of the articles and stuff that we talked about with Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm exhausted. I'm about to hit the hay, <laughs> dream about some waterfowl hunting, pythons, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> until, until I get back up and go do the mule deer thing again in the morning. So, uh, anyway, when uh, you guys are listening to this, I'll probably be headed back to the eastern part of Texas in Hopefully, I am ready to start my deer season, if you know what I mean, and actually have some decent weather, not be raining, no mosquitoes, or Mm. minimal mosquitoes, and the rut is going to be ramping up here quick, so I can't wait. But uh, remember to give us that five-star iTunes review if you want that camera. It's the Exodus Trek Trail camera. Uh, Go give us a review, and also remember, this is your element. Living it. Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the turkey woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom so head on over to the meateater.com march 11 through 17 for turkey week